You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. In the time before Christ, the Jews went through a time of exile. While in exile, they would build temples scattered away from their homeland. During that time, a city named Ephesus was created by the Greeks and taken by the Romans. Roman rulers would connect the world with Rhodes. Paul was able to capitalize on both. Scattered Jewish temples connected by the Roman Empire Rhodes which led Paul to Ephesus, where he pastored for a while, left and then wrote them the letter, titled Ephesians. The lie is that things will always be the way they are. Broken people, broken churches. The truth is that you can become a new man with a new heart and a new mind. The people who follow Christ can be one body, one church, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father to all. Ephesians. Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning, Redemption City? Great. All right, there we go. Um, if you're visiting for the first time today, my name is Brandon, and I'm an elder and the lead pastor here at Redemption City Church, and you've come on a great day. We're moving through our Ephesians series, um, and this is an awesome time to hear about the truth of God, and if you've been regular attending Sunday in and Sunday out, just like Pastor Jack said, we really do hope you are making connections, you're going out for coffee, and you're exploring whether this can be a safe place for you to call home. And here, here, let's talk about this for a second. If you are a Glad Covenant member, I always say this, I really do hope you are um, seeing the fruit of what it means to belong to a people that you get to be responsible for, and they get to be responsible for you, and that's really on display right now. As Pastor Jack was saying, my wife is really, really, really ill right now, and just the way that the community has been surrounding our family, coming alongside, we're just so thankful, helping out with meals, helping out with the kids. It's really a beautiful, beautiful thing when you can belong to a people that when you are struggling, they can lean in and help you. And so um, if this is your first time here, I just want to talk a little bit about our family culture, and Jillian says hello, and she's more than, man, she just loves God, and she's glad we're here, and um, she wishes she could be here with us today, so I do want to make sure I relay that message, but um, I just want to talk a little bit about how we do church here, and kind of our family culture, and how you can engage, this is your first time, throughout the sermon, so here's these three questions, we're going to put them up there for you right now, here's the first one, hey, Pastor Brandon, why do you say good morning at the start of every one of your sermons, um, why do you say that, and here's why, a loving family always cares to inquire one another. Think about it. When you go home, you check in with the wife, or the wife you get home, you check in with your husband and your kids. You, hey, how are you doing, right? A family is going to communicate and check on one another. And this is my way of inviting you to think about that question. Like literally, how are you doing this morning, right? No, I don't know what, I say this every week, right? I don't know what has been happening in your week. Last week, we had a beautiful week. This week has been terrible. I've been back and forth to the hospital. My wife has been shedding more tears. She's a strong lady. More tears this week than I've seen in five years. I have no idea what life is happening to you throughout the week. And so what's going on? This is your opportunity to say, where am I at? 
as I get ready to um, have an encounter with the Word of God. And here's the second question, or for, I want you to think through. Why are you encouraging me in that moment? I just heard everybody say, good. You know, maybe you got startled by that, right? Why are you encouraging me to respond back? I've never really responded in a sermon. That's kind of weird. It's not really weird. Think about it. A healthy family is going to exchange Communication, right? It's not supposed to be just one way in that exchange. And so throughout this sermon, especially today, I'm going to warn you, I'm going to really invite you to participate in the sermon, to exchange with me. In fact, there's going to be certain times where I'm going to leave a little bit of a gap for you to respond with an amen, which means let what just was said be so. And so these are beautiful things. And then finally, why do you then encourage me to say that I'm doing good or well or awesome? I just heard everybody say they're doing good. Yeah, right. Everybody can't be doing good. Well, here's the thing. Yes, you may have had trials. You may have had tragedies. You may have had difficult things this week. And I'm telling you right now, I've had a trying week. I have my own disability I'm working through. I've been struggling just to figure out how to get food taken care of, the kids, my daughter's hair, cannot do her hair. Oh my gosh, all these challenges are happening, right? But what I'm asking you to do, and what I'm inviting even for my own life in this week is to invite Christ into your circumstances. Listen to me, people of God. Whether it's good or it's bad, invite Christ into your circumstances so he can transform it. And then you can, you can proclaim with confidence, and I can tell you with confidence that I am good in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. So it doesn't mean we have to be fake. There are times where things are not okay, but on Sunday morning, this is our time to cast our eyes onto the Word of God. So we're going to continue magnifying God throughout our um, foundational series titled Our Story into God's Story. And this is all about discovering who we are in light of Christ. And then this is our aim. This is our aim throughout this whole seven-part series. No matter who you are, no matter how deep you think you may be in the Word of God, or if this is your first time opening up this book for the very first time in the Bible or Ephesians, I hope that we all get to have a real encounter with the living God. And so um, let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. I hope if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, let's open those up to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at that text in just a little bit. We're going to kind of walk through a um, our kind of where we've been at, a little review, especially for those who may be just coming for the first time. I want you to see what we've been doing. So in part one, titled Foundations and Proclamations, we set the stage for what was going on historically in the book of Ephesians. And there's a lot of implications of why Paul was saying the things that he was saying, and we and we looked at that in a real way. We experienced what was Paul going through under light chain house arrest, which was a form of imprisonment, and how that impacts how we read the book of Ephesians. And then finally, we looked at how the book of Ephesians is constructed primarily into three segments, and we kind of broke that down in a faithful way. We're not going to, each week I'm going to do a shorter version as we're the series is getting longer. In, in part two, titled Prayers, Peace, and an Invitation, we focused on only verses one and two. We tore them apart, we filleted them, and we said, man, what is God trying to show us just in this opening text written by Paul? Then we studied Paul's character um, as he was a murderous man that God redeemed and used for his glory. And then we said, what does that mean for us as sinners who are also redeemed by God. And then we looked at basically that first verses one and two are an invitation for the people of God, the faithful saints of God, um, to have an invitation for uh, the peace of God in their lives. And then in part three titled, Turning on the Switch, 
to every blessing in Christ. This is our pivot point. Super, super important. And we learned the biggest foundation of the book of Ephesians, and it's this. God does the work. I literally was just praying with my wife. That's why I was late getting here today. And I was like, babe, we're going to do all that we can, but God does the work. God does the work. He predestines us. We do not predestine anything. He lavishes blessings on us. We don't deserve any of those blessings. And most importantly, God chose us first. We do not choose Him first. We learn that the spiritual blessings are in the heavenly places. That everything that God has for us is in the spiritual, in the heavenly places, and that He promises those for His children. Not that He promises that we're going to have every single earthly blessing, and that sets us up actually to have a lack of faith and doubt in God's goodness when we um, expect something that God has not promised. And then in part four, titled "The Fullness of God's Blessing," segment A, chosen and adopted. So we begin to look now at God the Father and how He specifically blesses his children, which should do what? It should lead us to exalt his name and worship him specifically for what he has done, namely by choosing us, the first blessing, and then adopting us as the second blessing. And we looked at once we were in the darkness and we were without God, but because of God, we have the opportunity through Christ to be children of the light. And that's Good, good news. We have the opportunity for a new life and a new story with a new set of rules by a new king. And we talk about how amazing that is. And then in part five, titled The Fullness of God's Blessings, segment B, Redemption, we turn our attention to Jesus now. And we looked at what, how has Jesus specifically blessed us? And he does it in three ways, but Jesus is so massive, he's so glorious, that we just looked at one of them, which was Redemption. So we walked through a three-step process, first looking at a picture of the Gauls and how um, they went through their process of redemption. We talked about that as a fragment of redemption, right? At best, it was they were second-class citizens and they still lacked hope. But in God, our process of redemption leads to ultimate joy. And that brings us to today. I'm getting close to the end of this series in part six, titled The Fullness of God's Blessing, segment C, um, Forgiven and equipped. And it's really going to be all about looking at these final two blessings from Jesus. And let me tell you, there is so much that God has for us. So I'm going to invite Pastor Jack up. He's going to be reading again loudly Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. 3 through 14. Excuse me. Let's go 1 through 14. I want you to really lock in to all that God has for us. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us 
in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. So let's get ready to lean in, get your pens and paper, and let's work hard this morning. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Creator of the universe, thank you for the expanse of the skies and the depths of the ocean and the reach and the warmth of the sun, God. For through each of these gigantic physical realities, you have the same power and you've kept that same energy that you have made yourself known to us today and are forever moving forward. This was and is done by the word of your power. So Holy Spirit, therefore empower us as your needy patience, as your needy patience as we leap and dive deep into what our Father, the Chief Physician, has for us today in Scripture. May we see just how incredible your blessings are for those whom you call sons and daughters. It's because of your beautiful name that you are worthy of our mourning and our affections and our attention. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but doesn't it feel like we're kind of starting to memorize these verse one through, verses 1 through 14? I mean, let's face it, we've been replaying them over and over and I mean, listen, you, you get emails about it. We play the same video that says them. Pastor Jack didn't reason again, and then I landed even more and start to break it down. Now, listen, I have no apologies about that. This is not like I'm accidentally not doing good sermon prep and I'm forgetting to do the next thing. In fact, listen, I'm intentionally putting in my sermon notes for us to read it out loud again and again. Hear me out. My goal throughout this entire series is to guide us from our story, which is filled in despair, brokenness, pain, disappointment, shortcomings, towards a radical transformation in Christ. Only God can do it. Transforming in Christ towards God's story, which is filled with hope and wholeness and healing and satisfaction and victory. Like, are you tracking? Joining God's story literally means that he's the antidote to all of our ailments. I'm going to say it again. Joining into God's story means you get the antidote to all of your ailments in Christ. You see, our story is one of despair. You tracking? Our story is filled with despair, but when we enter into God's story, we get incredible, incredible hope. Our story is filled with immense brokenness. Just look at your life. Just be honest. Brokenness everywhere. But God's story leads to supreme wholeness. Our story is filled with pain. Are you tired of the pain in your life? But God's story is one of healing. You can heal no matter what you've been through. 
There's a couple more. Our story is one of disappointments. Some of us have been so disappointed in life, in our circumstances, in our relationships, but when we enter into God's story, we can have immense reconciliation and we can be satisfied. Is that good news? Our story is filled with shortcomings, things that we just didn't get quite as far as we wanted, goals we had, things we hoped to have achieved, and they didn't happen. Maybe we, um, our family grew, and, and there's, maybe there's women in here who had dreams and hopes, but the kids came, and you're happy, you're excited, you're, you're, you're so excited to be a mom, but there's some things that you feel are left undone, but in God's story, He promises that it ends with you having joy and being so satisfied in victory. That's what the whole book of Ephesians is about. And that's why we keep reading the same passage over and over and over again. It's about repetition. So my hope is that as we keep repeating these verses, that you're seeing more in Scripture. And that's going to transfer into your life so you can be victorious. That's my hope, that you can be victorious in life. Like even for me, the more I'm reading these same verses, the more I'm seeing more. And then I'm saying, God, how can I apply it more so that I can live closer to your will? And so my hope is that as you spend time away from church, that you would spend repetition in God's word. And then you would pray that God would illuminate his word so that you can walk rightly. So here's our first takeaway for your fill in the blank. The more I get into Ephesians, the more Ephesians can get into me. I want you to repeat after me. The more I get into Ephesians, the more I get into Ephesians, the more Ephesians can get into me. The more Ephesians can get into me. Hey, listen, there is no there is no other way for you to grow deeper in your relationship with the God of the universe without spending time with him. Relationships take time and they require effort. Any relationship that's worth anything requires time and effort. Are you spending time and are you putting effort in your relationship with God? Therefore, if you want more of God, you must be willing to give God more of you. So many people, man, I want more of God, Pastor Brandon. I want to hear Him more. I want to know His will for my life. Hey, give God more of you and He will give you more of Him. And we're going to look at that right now as we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. The first part of that is look at the first blessing. And here it is. This is the word of the Lord. It says, In Him we have redemption. Remember last week we broke that down. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Here we go. The forgiveness. Wow. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And that leads to now blessing number four. We are comprehensively forgiven of all of our trespasses, our sin, and our iniquity. This is good news. And we need to talk about that. These are big, big words with big, big implications, right? All, not some, not, not just a little bit. All of our sins, all of our trespasses, and all of our iniquity. So that should really beg this question if you're really listening and you're leaning in. What is forgiveness? What is that? What does it mean 
to be forgiven. So we're going to look at a definition of forgiveness from the Got Questions about the Bible organization from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, this is an area where maybe you listen on the radio, it's like focus on the family. This is Colorado Springs, Colorado. This organization is a lot of things for the gospel. So we're going to look at that now. Here's a, here's a faithful biblical definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness in the Bible, the only definition that matters, is a release or a dismissal of something. The forgiveness we have in Christ involves the release of sinners, namely those who are not walking or are doing things that are defaming his name, okay, things that are an affront to God, okay, that's what a sinner is, from God's just penalty and the complete dismissal, complete dismissal of all charges against us. Talks about that in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Colossians 1.14 says, Say that in God's beloved Son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, what I want you to see is that forgiveness of sins relates very closely to the conversation we had last week about redemption. And I want to do, what I want to do is I want to point us to those last seven words in this definition up here, right here where it says, We have redemption, comma, we're going to school, ready? We have redemption, comma, the forgiveness of our sins. That, that, that relates very, very, very closely to what we just read in verse 7. I'm going, to, I'm, going to see, I'm going to read that to you again. The Word of God says this in verse 7. The forgiveness of our trespasses, I mean, we have redemption through His blood, comma, the forgiveness of our trespasses. It's almost verbatim. You see, unlike grace and mercy... Redemption and forgiveness are not solely interplaying with each other simultaneously. Let me explain. Remember, we talked about this. In grace, the grace of God, we learned way back in the DNA series. We looked at it again in the beginning of this series. The grace of God is pushing forward. And the mercy of God is continuing daily. And as the grace of God pushes forward, and the mercy of God continues daily, and this cycle keeps happening, there's a collision of God's grace and mercy on your life, and the peace of God is activated in your life. Grace doesn't come first. Mercy doesn't come first. They're just interplaying. It's because of the mercy of God, right? Not allowing you to have the punishment you deserve, that you can step into His grace. But it's because of the grace of God, giving what you don't deserve, that you get to experience the mercy of God. They're constantly interplaying with one another. But here's where forgiveness and redemption differ slightly. You track with me? Forgiveness and redemption, they differ slightly in how they work. So while there is, a, there is a constant state of forgiveness that is pushing forward daily, that allows our redemption to um, also continue daily, it's really important for us to understand this. There's an initial forgiveness that must occur. I'm going to say this again. There's an initial forgiveness that must occur for your redemption story to begin. If you want to move out of your story into God's story, if you want to move out of your pain, out of your shortcomings, out of your disappointments, into God's story of hope and satisfaction and victory, there's an initial forgiveness that we as the people of God must believe and receive for our redemption story to be ignited and where we can have this awesome redemption story. How many want a redemption story of God, in God? You have to interact with this initial forgiveness. And so there's two forms, actually, of this forgiveness that we must embody. And I want to do my best not to dive too deep into them because we're going to look at them faithfully over the entire series of Ephesians when we jump back into it in 2020 at the beginning of the year. So, okay, here we go. Let's look at that. Here's the first one. 
Understanding forgiveness in relation, okay? So we have, we have to embody this as the people of God. Understanding forgiveness. You have no hope for your redemption story. You hear what I'm saying? I'm stuck. I'm stalled. I'm stagnant. I'm in pain. I'm suffering. I don't want that. I want God's blessings. I want to be, I want, I want victory. I want holiness. I want joy. Okay, then you got to deal with forgiveness. We cannot let go of this forgiveness thing. Understanding forgiveness in relation to our salvation. You need to understand forgiveness and how it relates to salvation is necessary for our God story or your redemption story to truly begin. And we got to talk about that because our, our church is called Redemption City Church, so we need to know how to walk in redemption because it's a good, good thing. You see, it all culminated at the cross. Jesus on Calvary at the cross. And underneath this whole story at the cross is a story of forgiveness. When Jesus forgave us of our sins and our trespasses and our iniquity and our transgressions, they were erased fully, comprehensively, gone, done, forever. John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30, excuse me, 28 yeah, through 30 depicts this really, really well, and I want to put this on the screen for you. It really talks about this faithfully. It says in verse 28, after this, now what is this after this talking about? Because we can't read the whole Bible on Sunday morning. Um, this is his final exhortation actually to John and his mother. So after he finishes this final comment, commentary to his mom, Jesus talked to his mom, and he gives John and his mom some final exhortations. After that, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, well, by the way, there's a lot of implications there. That, that's good. I can we'll do the Gospels later. But after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Remember this? Mm -hmm. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Some important words right there. It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, I don't believe that it's always the most important thing to spend a whole bunch of time throwing out a bunch of Greek and Hebrew language on a Sunday morning. It's not the most important thing. What matters more to me as a lead pastor of this church is that you are growing deeper in your relationship with the God of the universe, remembering, we learned last week, that a relationship with God is far superior than knowing a bunch of information about God. You tracking? Way more important to me. However, there are times when we want to faithfully look at the original translation when it really helps us to get something that I don't want you to miss. Therefore, what Jesus was literally saying in those three words where it says, it is finished, in the Greek was um, to tell a stay, which means it is paid in full, and that's worth knowing. So the, the direct translation of it is finished is it is paid in full. Not partially, not a little bit, not temporarily until you do your next mess up, your next screw up. No, 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 no. It is paid in full. Our hearts should leap with joy at this moment in history. Are you kidding me? The God-man in the flesh, on Calvary, on the cross, says it is paid in full. You are radically forgiven. Jesus took the punishment we deserve. Are you getting that? This means the perfect God of the universe who has never sinned took our punishment 
and said, it's finished. You're free. <laughs> as far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. I think that comes out of Psalms chapter 103. As far. How far is the east from the west? All these phrases in church that we go through, I mean, how far is the east from the west in the world? As in this now, it's super far, right? That's how far he's saying, hey, here's your sin. Here's you. That's how far I'm separating your sin. You are. It is finished. It is paid in full. So listen to me. The parts of you right now this morning that feels the worst, the parts of you that you hate about your past, the parts of you that you hate about your present, the parts of you that you haven't disclosed to anyone, God's saying, you step into my grace. If you step into my mercy, if you believe upon what I did on the cross for your life, it is finished. And it's paid in, in full. Is that good news? Yeah. That is good, good news. So, who are we? <laughs> who are we as the people of God? We are a people called to believe and receive that we are forgiven by God through Jesus. We are to leap, not, 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 not meander, not limp there. We are to leap with joy at the reality that in Christ our sin has been paid in full and it is finished. It's finished. It's finished. It's finished for me and it's finished for you if we believe that. So here's my question. Have you accepted the forgiveness of God in your life? Have you, forget, have you accepted the forgiveness of God in your life? If not, why not? I'm going to say that to you again. If you have not accepted the forgiveness of God upon your life, what is, what is really holding you back? Hmm? What's going on underneath the hood? Here's some unfortunate news. Statistics, which I'm not going to reveal the exact statistics that I usually do because um, there was too many discrepancies in the numbers and I want to be faithful. I'm only going to share things I feel really confident in and the range was a little bit too wide. But here's what I can say. Um, the, the range of the statistics revealed that an alarming amount of Christians simply don't believe in God's forgiveness. They say it, but in the counseling office, it's discovered that they don't actually believe it, that they are truly free in Christ, actually forgiven. In fact, i got some sad news. According to these stats, a good portion of you this morning, within seven to nine days, will walk out of this service this morning after having your emotional high and will not be able to hold fast to the fact that you are forgiven. I'm going to say it again. Statistically, a large number of you are going to walk out of here this morning and you will be able to hold on to God's forgiveness for about seven days before you are a slave to your past, your present, and your sin again. Hey, look at me. I don't want that for you. I do not want that for you. I want you to, I want you to listen with greater attention right now than you ever have on any Sunday morning here at Redemption City Church. Because this is important for your soul. This is important for your life. You have no redemption story. You have no God story if you do not interact with the forgiveness of God, His grace and His mercy upon your life. You've got to get this. I want you to stop right now, dead in your tracks, from continuing on, putting yourself 
away from the forgiveness of God that he has given you and your self-condemnation. Stop doing that. I need to uncover with you. Together we're going to do this. I want to uncover a major roadblock that is stopping the people of God from being able to interact in a lasting way with God's forgiveness. Are you ready? Yep. Let's look at that. Okay, here it is. The major, the major roadblock that hinders me and hinders you and our ability to walk confidently in our forgiven state are unrestrained, man, unrestrained, unsubmitted, and sin infused emotions. These are coming out of the feelings of our heart. The number one thing that's stopping you from interacting with the forgiveness of God is your unrestrained, sin-filled emotions that are affecting the feelings of your heart. Let's talk about that. I was walking with a young person back in California, and I was mentoring him um, through some really, um, the only word I can say is terrible errors that he had made in his life, big ones. Um, but he had walked years and years and years away from that catastrophic decision that he had made. Uh, but he struggled month after month after month after month and year after year to believe that he was forgiven by the God of the universe. Listen, lean in. He could not accept the work that God had done. He felt so dirty and unworthy. And let me, let me just tell you, he had a reason to feel dirty. He had a reason to feel unworthy. He had done a terrible thing. But he had walked out of repentance. He had walked it faithfully, but he could not shake how he felt. No matter how much fruit me, the other pastors, and everyone saw over a long period of time of him being faithful, he couldn't get past his feelings. He didn't feel good. You hear what I'm saying? He didn't feel good. He didn't feel forgiven. And because his feelings led his actions, because he let his feelings lead his behavior, he struggled to accept the grace and the mercy of God. Therefore, he remained, to the last time I've ever been with him, he remained at war within himself. Like a, like, like a battle soldier who goes to the military, who sees hard things, comes back, but has a hard time entering back into society because he has been affected so deeply. This was like he was in a war within himself and he could not leave the battlefield. Now lean in with me right now because we're talking about deep, deep things. Are your feelings real? What do you think? Are your feelings real? What do you think? Don't be afraid. Tell me, do you think are your feelings real? Yes? yes? Yeah, of course your feelings are real. Don't let anybody tell you that. One of the most damaging things you can your feelings aren't real. Your feelings aren't real. Trust upon the word of God. Your feelings aren't real. Spiritual abuse. Run, flee from the church. The pastor tells you that your feelings aren't real. Run from the doctors who won't engage with you about the things that you are feeling. You feel good because you feel good. You feel bad. You feel encouraged. You feel despondent. What kind of stuff is that? Your feelings are very real. 
My wife has feelings right now. They're real. They matter. I'm not going to sit there over here from the pastor. Oh, trust God. You don't have to. Your feelings matter. You're hurting. Your feelings are real. But pay attention. I kind of want to share with the same thing that I tried to share with that young man. And I'm hoping that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can lean in and hear this. Your feelings are real. But they are not the boss. Your feelings are real, but they are not the boss. I want you to repeat after me. You need, you need, to, you need to hear this. This is going to be psyche. My feelings, My feelings are, real, are real, but they're not the boss. None. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your feelings are real, but they're not the boss. Listen to me. God has declared that He's the boss. <laughs> Praise God. God has declared that he's the boss and he is good. And he has shown us that by giving us, namely, his son. He has shown us that by walking with us and proving to us over, over and over again in our lives that he's good. How many times has God shown up and shown you that he's good? He's the boss and he is good. And he's declared that he's good and to trust him over your feelings. Don't, you don't have to ignore your feelings. They're real. He says, but I'm the boss. I'm the Lord over your feelings. You see, our feelings, they're all messed up. <laughs> our feelings are all messed up. We, we can be a sad, sloppy mess. Man, let me tell you, I can be a sad, sloppy mess. My feelings go all over the place. <laughs> me and Pastor Jack were talking about it one time. We were just kind of leaning in on a late night talking about our feelings. You know, if you heard some of the feelings that me and Pastor Jack, we'd be like, man, can you guys even leave this church? We, like, man, we got feelings that are just all over the place. In fact, Paul Schreier, a, a notable theologian, says this, and this is really important. The Bible wastes very little time on the way that we feel. Think about that. If you read all scripture, the Bible wastes very little time. It acknowledges feelings, but it, wastes, it doesn't waste a lot of time on the way we feel. But that doesn't mean God doesn't care. It doesn't mean God doesn't care about your feelings. In fact, if you know God's Word, and if you truly plant the Word of God in your heart, God's going to be there for you in your feelings. That's the key. He's going to be there for you with your feelings. And through the Word of His power, He will help you sort out your feelings. That's the goal. You tracking? With God, He's going to help you sort out your feelings so you can understand them rightly. Hello? I'm getting deep right here. We're talking about your fears, your anxieties, those who are being led by fears and anxieties and faulty thoughts. If you allow the Word of God and God Himself to enter into your circumstances, He's going to help you to sort them out. Because some of you have been a slave to your feelings, feelings of your past, and it's time to be free in Christ. And here's what happens. This is beautiful. When you learn to match your feelings upon what's true based upon the Word of God, you will be able to learn how to move the needle of your feelings into what God is declaring over your life. And that is good news. So who are we? We are people called to march, not, not walk, not tippy-toe, to march over the roadblocks of our feelings. First, acknowledging that they are real. There's, if, you, if you don't start there, all you're doing is hurting yourself. It's a type of abuse. 
It's the first thing you're going to learn if you ever have one-on-one -on -one time with me in, in counseling. If, if you ever have marital counseling. We, we, we don't start with solving problems. We don't start with having all the answers. We start with acknowledging what's real. What's real? What's going on? First acknowledging that they are real. But that they aren't the Lord over our lives. Are you hearing this? Then we are to call upon God's word. Bringing our feelings into obedience by the truth of what Scripture says about who we are. Pastor Jack was asked a couple days ago, do we need to make a plan for someone to preach for you? I said, absolutely not. The Word of God must go forward. Jillian wants me here. I want to be here. This is our story, guys. You might as well change our last name from the Rochelle family to the Suffering family. We've been doing this since 2012. We are sold out for Christ. We're, there's no other place I want to be on Sunday morning than right here with you, with my wife praying for you, so that you can hear what God has for you. I want you free in Christ. I want you to get healthy, and I want you to get whole. This is Redemption City Church, and we are radically devoted in our little tiny church to see people's redemption stories come true. We want to see you, see you move out of your story of brokenness into God's story of wholeness. And that means you need to accept that you're forgiven by God. Fully forgiven by God. So if you're struggling right now, and you are struggling to accept that you're forgiven for whatever reason, I need you to come talk to me. I need you to come talk to Pastor Jack. Let's get some coffee. Let's go on a walk at the park. And let's work it out. Stop being a slave to your feelings. And trust the Word of God. Stop being tough. And ask for help. Let's look at the second reality that we need to know about forgiveness. It's important. Un so we, we talked about understanding forgiveness in relation to our salvation, right? Now, understanding forgiveness in relation to others. This is going to cause some wounds and some pain for people. And we are need to get in there. Understanding forgiveness in relation to others is necessary for our God story or our redemption story to truly begin. It's about extending glad, willing forgiveness. It's an essential core element of being a Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christian. You must forgive others. You know. You don't have to listen to me. Let's look at the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says this. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. What does those next three words say? Forgiving. Forgiving one another. Forgiving the ones you like. Forgiving when it's convenient. Forgiving when you deem it's time to forgive. No, 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 no. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's look at, let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 second half of that, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. When I sit down with someone again in one-on-one -on -one discipleship, mentoring, counseling, and they're coming in bitter, I'm never going to forgive this person what they did. They ruined my life. They ruined my kid's life. I said, hold on now. I'm playing a dangerous Dangerous, dangerous game with the God of the universe. And I keep telling you, you're going to lose. You are going to lose. That is not 
a battle you want to do. As God has forgiven you, you are to forgive others. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says you don't even get to interact with the forgiveness of God if you are carrying unforgiveness with others. He does not forgive those who will not extend forgiveness. His forgiveness pathway is as you forgive. You need to deal with that text. It's there for you. Can you see? The key, the key in both passages is that we are to forgive others. As is the key word. As God forgives us. So let's, let's, let's think about that. I need to forgive others to the degree that God has forgiven me. How, how has God forgiven you? Full. It's paid in full. Completely. Comprehensively. It's done. What kind of forgiveness are you supposed to extend to others? A type of, it's supposed to be full, completely, comprehensively, letting them off. They're free. They're free. So much of our redemption story, listen to me, so much of your redemption story, meaning moving out of your story of brokenness into God's story of wholeness, involves releasing people in your lives that have hurt you deeply. No, you get it. I don't think you understand. Your redemption story cannot begin if you are not releasing people that have hurt you deeply. I don't know why I don't hear from God. I don't know why my family said, I don't know why I can't. If you are holding unforgiveness in your heart, you are thwarting your redemption story. Don't do that. Don't do that. The Bible tells us that we are to forgive those who have sinned against us. We have to forgive people that have done it. First Corinthians, it's not on your screen. 13, 5 says, tells us we should keep no record of wrong. I know that's hard. I know that's hard. But God calls us. We don't keep a record of wrong. Hey, hey, but it's not about them. It's about you. You don't want that weight. It's about you being free from the weight. It's too heavy. It's too heavy. Only God can do it. It's too heavy for you. It's too heavy for me. you got to let it go. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 22 tells us to forgive as many times as necessary. The disciples, look, Peter, Peter's always tripping, right? Peter's like, I would have been Peter. I would have been worse. Peter's like, okay, listen. <laughs> I'm walking with you. You're saying some crazy stuff. Stop. Jesus, I need to talk to you. How many times do I, do I need to interact with forgiving someone? And Jesus responds, forever. He says 70 times 7, but he essentially was saying, you always forgive. <laughs> you don't stop. You keep forgiving. Therefore, when you refuse to forgive someone, <laughs> when, you for, when you refuse to, it's, a, it's demonstrating a type of resentment. You're demonstrating bitterness. And anger, and those things are rotting your bones, it says in the book of Psalms. When you carry that, it rots you away. And more importantly, none of those traits are marked by Christianity. That is not what a Bible-believing Christian does. You don't harbor unforgiveness. God forgave you first. Now you have a responsibility to release those who have hurt you. Release them. Now, Here's what's important. God promises us that when we come to Him and we confess our sins and we ask for forgiveness, He freely grants us the right to be free. We see that in 1 John 1.9. Likewise, the forgiveness we extend to others 
really needs to have no limits. Redemption City Church has to be built that way, folks. I want this to be a hospital for the sick, and that means I need you and me to get trained up as the doctors and the x-ray technicians. We've got to get this together. I need you to move out of your story of brokenness into God's story of wholeness, and that means dealing with your past, dealing with your present. I will help you. Come on. Don't just come to church on Sunday. Come. Meet with me. Get in the office. Let's deal with this. So you can be all that you can be. You have such a God story. You have no idea. Such a God story. I want you to be free. But here's why a lot of people can't forgive people. And maybe this is you this morning. I know it's somebody this morning. Somebody this morning, this is true for. Here's why we can't. Because we think that someone's getting off the hook. I told you. No one gets off the hook with the God of the universe. All things come to the light. It might come to the light tomorrow. It may come to the light when they're 75. It may come to light in eternity when they meet the Lord and they spend eternity away from Him. But no one, no one, no one gets off the hook. Here's another reason why people don't forgive. Maybe this is you. It feels weak. It makes me feel like I'm weak. I'm not strong if I just forgive like that. You're not weak. It takes incredible strength to release somebody when you know that they have wronged you. Listen to me. Forgiveness is not about whether a person is guilty or not. Okay? They're, they can be guilty. You extending forgiveness is not about whether they're guilty or not. It's about an act of your will. I need to say it again. It's the most personal we've had since we've started this church. Forgiveness is not, you giving forgiveness is not about whether they're guilty or not. It's about you activating your will. It's a deliberate act of your will to choose to love and extend mercy despite their guilty verdict. And to provide a type of grace that mimics the Father. And how the Father moves. You're mimicking his heart and his movements. His heart by having mercy and peace here. His movements by how you engage. Well, yes, that right there. I'm about to have a whole forgiveness. So, so who are we? Who are we? We are a people called to gladly extend forgiveness. Don't, not, hey, hey if, if you're at the point where it's like a Kind of like a bitter forgiveness, like, I forgive you, don't ever talk to me again. If I see you, I'm going to punch you in your throat. You're not ready. Don't extend that kind of forgiveness. It's not forgiveness. God's after the heart. You're not ready. I'm going to forgive you, but don't ever come up. Don't, I don't want to see you in my neighborhood anymore. You know, no, you're not ready. You need to slow down. You need to deal with some stuff. You need to be in community. You need to talk about it. <laughs> Glad extension of forgiveness to others as God has done for us. We should do this as a deliberate act of our will and not under compulsion. Do not go around forgiving people because you heard Pastor Brandon say, ooh, Pastor Brandon, I need to lean in today. I need to go call someone. Uh-uh, don't do this. the worst thing you can ever do. Think. Let the Holy Spirit deal with you. Walk through this faithfully. Allow yourself to be pastored if you need to be. And let's do this the right way. Do not do it under compulsion. Nobody's going to make you. God doesn't make you forgive. He calls you to forgive. There's a difference. Now, believe it or not, everything we've talked about thus far in today's sermon centers around one gift, one blessing, and that's forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I'm overwhelmed 
God is so good. Wow. If he only gave us the gift of forgiveness, he's good. Period. And he could be done. But he, he didn't just do that. <laughs> I think that's what Paul's trying to communicate. That when he says he lavished us. Remember? He has lavished all these blessings on us. So many blessings on us. Let's look at the last blessing from Christ. Keep leaning in. This is really important. Blessing number five. We have been equipped with an understanding of God's will. Oh, this is good news. We have been equipped with an understanding of God's will. Now, in the DNA series, way back, we went through, um, this past summer, we, uh, we learned that sin has devastating consequences on everything that was created. It's safe to say that the greatest consequence of sin was the shattering of our identity as God's people. In other words, we forgot who we were. We became separated from Him and we forgot who we were. This whole series is about saying, so who are we? So who are we? Reclaiming who we are. That's what happened. Sin happened, and because of that, we lost our identity and we forgot who we were, who we are. And as a result, we became imprisoned and bound to Satan. You tracking? That's what happened with sin. We became bound to Satan. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says this, it's not on the screen, tells us about the sin, sin and Satan when it says this. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that all of us, once dominated us all. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, it says this, lean in. Paul says that those who don't know the truth are ensnared by the devil or, and are being held captive to do his will, Satan's will. You see, Satan's specialty is deception, not bold-faced lies. You need to know this. I'm going to say it again. Satan, his, his, his biggest thing is deception, not bold-faced lying. Satan knows more about the Bible than any man that ever lived. Did you know that? Satan is more knowledgeable and wise than Solomon. He can handle scripture beyond any disciple or apostle that's written this Bible. He can nuance scripture better than any theologian and pastor that you've ever heard preach. He knows the Bible better. He can break it down better. He knows it infinitely, supremely better than any other person that's ever lived. And that's the whole point. That's the point. He can do all that, and he flat out doesn't care. He hates God, he hates you, and he hates me. And he rejected, knowing it deeper than anybody else. He Think of that's what evil means. It means to know God as deeply as possible and to hate him anyway. He hates God, he hates me, he hates you. Therefore, he uses the word of God that he hates with a passion. And he distorts it. Are you understanding? He distorts the truth of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. It's what he exists for. It's what he's doing to your children. He's praying upon you. He prays upon your children. And he distorts truth. He is constant. This, this is what you call spiritual attack. He does it in your marriages. It's called spiritual battle. Okay? He is constantly attacking the believer's feelings. Do you want to know what he's attacking? Your feelings. No, I thought, no, I learned in my Sunday school class that he's, he's attacking my faith. Okay. Underneath your faith are your feelings. You, what you feel affects how you believe. I don't feel good, so I'm struggling in my faith. I feel great after this, con after this conference, so now my faith is skyrocketing. 
He doesn't attack your faith. He attacks your feelings. No one can affect your faith that way. I'm trying to tell you some deep stuff right here. You got to, and as you listen, <laughs> Satan loves unbelievers. He's not after unbelievers. He loves them. He gets in bed with unbelievers. He, he has glad relationships with unbelievers. It's you and me that he's after. He hates you and he hates me. He hates everything that we stand for. He wants to see you killed and destroyed from the inside out. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says that he blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing God. That's what he did to the unbelievers, right? So if that's true, what do you think he's trying to do with us? He's on, he's on his mission to reblind us. So I have a question for you. What are you going to do about it? So that's his mission. I put it in the light. What are you going to do about it? If Satan is wiser than any man, if he's more intellectual than your favorite pastor and your theologian, if he knows more scripture and he has a better handle on scripture than the people who wrote the Bible, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to start off by studying more, reading more, worshiping more, effort more? No, don't do that. That's, 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 not, that's not the way. Of course you need to do those things. You need to pray, you need to worship. But what Paul is sharing, here we go, the land of the plane, this is everything. What Paul is sharing loudly in the book of Ephesians is that you need to worship the God of the universe and declare the blessings of God upon your life. It's not about effort, it's about declaring. Speak and declare the blessings of God on your life. Listen, part of knowing who you are starts with taking the focus off of yourself and putting your focus on God. Okay, you ready? This is deep. So who are we? You want to know who you are? Who you are is moving your focus off of you and moving your focus to God. If you want to know more about who you are, focus on understanding who God is and you will find yourself in God. Does that make sense? Find yourself in God. Instead of saying, who am I, who am I, who am I, who am I, what's my identity? Say, who is God, who is God, who is God, what is his identity? What is his character? What are his attributes? Then you'll be on the right track. Hear me out, brothers and sisters. If you want to know who you are, and you want to know your identity, you need to know who God is. You've got to spend time in a relationship with him. Satan wants you to believe you can't understand the Bible, and it's a lie from the pits of Sheol. I'm saying right now, God has equipped you with the understanding of his will. This is the blessing. He's equipped you with the understanding of his will. Yes, he has. And oftentimes we lie to ourselves and we think we don't know right from wrong. Or we don't know what to do. We don't know God's will. Oh, yes, you do. You know right from wrong. And you more times than not know what the will of the Lord is. But you struggle to obey. I'm going to say it again. Because I'm not going to dance around truth. You mostly do know right from wrong. And you mostly do know what God's calling you to do. You struggle to obey. Because we are disobedient. And that's our sin. There are, right now, there are many things you know you need to be doing in your marriage. There are things you need to be doing at home, with your children, in your relationships, in your movement, in your faith. And it's not because God's not speaking. It's because you're disobeying the God of the universe. And that comes out of sin. Not knowing. Paul is declaring the children, the sons, and the daughters of God have been equipped with the knowledge of God, and we must believe that is true. What are you going to do with it? Hmm. That is good, good news. 
that God has given us the understanding of His wills, and that should cause us to worship the God of the universe. Amen? Amen. So who are we? We are a people called to worshipfully act upon the gift of being equipped with the understanding of God's will, with faith-filled decisions, marching over Satan's attempt to blind our minds, declaring the title, I want us to declare this title today, that we are children of confidence and glad obedience. We are children of confidence and glad obedience. Now, let's get ready to wrap it up with a couple final remarks. I want us to sit here for a second. I don't want us to be in a hurry. The God of the universe in his love, we have interacted now with four blessings of God. God the Father chose you. You hear me? God the Father chose you. Despite all of your shortcomings, he chose you. Then he took it further. He adopted you into his family. And he gave you a new name and a new story. This is really important. And then through Christ, we have the opportunity for a new story, redemption. But in order for us to engage in a new story, we have to believe that we're forgiven, folks. Forgiven by God. And then we have to forgive others so we can be free to move in our redemption story. And we're going to need to understand that we need to know the Father's will as we walk through our lives. And God promises that He's equipped us with that. He has equipped you with the knowledge of God. Is that good news? Yes. That is good news. We sing all the time. We just sang a song like a couple weeks ago saying, I raise a hallelujah. We sing that, right? We sing about that. But what I want you to learn to do, when you are hearing the word of God proclaimed, listen, in, in the biblical times, when they heard truth, they would shout, amen. They would shout, hallelujah. I want you to hear this. I don't care who you are. Pastor, not pastor. Uh, uh, work servant, guest, worship leader. It doesn't matter what your title is at this church. Let us not be people that read the word of God, sing songs about the word of God, and miss the whole point. If you're singing a song that has lyrics that are based in theological, biblical truth that says, raise a hallelujah, what is it going to take for the people of God to have a swelling in their belly that when you hear the blessings of God, you shout with your mouth, amen. You shout with your mouth, hallelujah. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what stops us. We worry about what people are thinking. It's uncomfortable. We haven't been raised like that. Listen, this is not a cultural issue. This is a matter of kind of church. This is about this is a God issue. Amen? amen. Be confident in that. Say amen to the God of the universe. Say, raise your hallelujah. Do those things, folks. Um, next week we're going to land the plane in part seven. And we're going to turn our attention to the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be able to put this whole thing together. God left us. Jesus went to the right hand of the Father and via Pentecost left the Holy Spirit with us to intercede for us. And so we're going to look at these final two blessings from the Holy Spirit. And I can't wait. Let's pray. Precious Savior and Lord Jesus, 
is it really possible that we all this morning get to sit here at the Harbury communicating to you with assurance that you hear us? I do believe we can. I'm humbled. We are all humbled. Jesus, your threefold blessings of redemption, forgiveness, and the understanding of your Father's will, our Father's will, takes my breath away every time I consider how deep that reality is. I am sure that there are others here this morning that feel the same, Lord. But Lord, we are constantly in a dangerous game. Such a dangerous game of being blinded by Satan and sin that threatens to be a roadblock to our riches because of our feelings. Don't allow our feelings to be the boss anymore, God. May we all walk out today with a hunger and a fire and a passion and a thirst for your word. Your word over our feelings is what is what we proclaim our words over our feelings is our anthem. Help us, Lord, by the power of your word. It's because of your beautiful name. It's for your beautiful name that we pray.